good and it was a lot easier than what they were going to do. That's exactly the one they were looking at. Yeah. Yeah. They, they they were Test, one, two. Yeah. Low maintenance. Yep. There we go. This guy can't, he can't percent on the boots. <laughs> Perfect, that's my pocket. But, but he <laughs> has some son-in-laws and others that don't help him. Yeah. He had an old uh, Franklin stove in there. They got a few of just a basic yeah. Hi, Nancy. Hi, morning. But they had things blocking it. Hi, Nancy. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. And they never stay there. They live in Roseville. So it's a half a short, it's 30 half an hour. Do they play in the river? Do they have a water? He said, you go down there, take your shoes off after school, and let's put the shoes back on. Oh, nice. <laughs> the, 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 the line between is really close. And breaking, yeah, and breaking your ankles is really close. Well, I think we'll get started. It's not after nine now. Thank you for coming. I'm sure there's a lot of things we missed last time, and so thank you for going again. I wasn't sure what we would have. I'd like to uh, make a couple uh, announcements before we begin. Uh, next Sunday, we will be starting in Romans chapter 5. This is a very tough passage. Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 really form a unit. But chapter 5 deals with sin. <coughs> and Paul has been dealing with faith, and now he turns to sin. So I'd like you, and I meant to have this, and I don't know what happened. My secretary <laughs> didn't get it done. But I, I had five definitions of faith you could look at and see if you liked any of them or create your own. So if you wouldn't mind creating your own definition, I don't mean faith, I mean sin. There's the reform, which is probably the most common news. Sin is a neglect or a failure to fulfill God's law, whether actively or passively. So whether you know it or you don't know it, and you do it, it's a sin. This would be the reform view. Presbyterians, Lutherans, Baptists, all people who have been influenced by the Reformation would hold this view. Then there's the Wesleyan view. Wesleyan view says sin is a deliberate or conscious violation of God's law. The difference here is if you don't know it, it's not a sin, is Wesley's view. 
it's sort of like I tell my students, if I say I come from California and I come to Bethel, and it's a cold, cold winter day, and when there's a rule at Bethel, if the temperature goes below five, below zero, you cannot open a window. If you do, you're kicked out of school, okay? Well, I'm from California, and it's been nice, and man, it's so stuffy in this room. I throw it over, my roommate comes in, and he's a guest. How did you get into Bethel? Why? Well, you opened that window, but I didn't know it. If I'd have known it, then I... Per- so this is Wesley. Wesley says, if, if you didn't know that it was a sin, the, the conscious, deliberate violation of God's law. Roman Catholic view, which I put, the Roman Catholic view of sin is sin is a failure to love God and your neighbor as yourself. Basically, that's what it is. You are to, to love God and you are to love your neighbor as yourself. A violation of that is a sin. Now, there are various kinds of sins. Uh, in Roman Catholic thought, you have venial and mortal sins. You're probably well at Sometimes I think that would be nice if we stuck it into ours, but that's just me, you know. Because sometimes you think, did I do something wrong? Well, was it a mortal sin? No. Okay, I'm, I'm all right. This would kind of a, interesting, almost a Wesleyan kind of idea, but not really. And I'll come back to uh, the Roman Catholic in, in a little bit. What I'd like to say, though, by just general observations at this point, is that sin is a very common human experience. We experience it in all kinds of various ways, usually specific ways. You go out and you start to start your car and you believe it's going to start because it did yesterday and now it doesn't. Or you're driving along and somebody comes in front of you, you step on the brake, and if the brake went to the floor, you would be amazed because you believed that the brakes were good. There's all kinds of faith. I swim a lot or exercise a lot swimming, and sometimes there's the young people, the young kids learning, and then it comes a time they have to go off the three-meter board. A three-meter board is not so high. It's about like this high, and the kids are okay. So the lifeguard goes up and jumps off so they can see nothing happens. Then they go up. The problem is when you get up, you know, you're standing up and you got, however tall you are, much higher. Now they look down and, oh, and they start backing away. And then they have to jump, you know. And everybody say, it won't hurt, it'll be good, we'll be right here, nothing will happen. They'll get there, then they'll stand up. <coughs> no, faith occurs in all kinds of places in our lives, in everyday lives. So we need to keep that in mind. The significance of faith might come from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Or, no, not verse 4. It's verse, yes, verse 6. It is impossible, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For those who believe that he is, that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in Hebrews, it suggests that, you know, faith is really significant for us. So, I just wanted to point out generally that faith is not something that is common to us. Now, the difference between common faith and biblical faith is merely the object, the object that you put your faith in. So, having said those things, let's turn to uh, what I'm going to call the key issue. Well, let me make one other observation. Faith is not, or biblical faith is not a qualification that some people possess that makes them naturally to receive the gospel message. It's not that all of you guys can really be good believers and I'm a skeptic or something, you know. 
So faith is not some kind of thing that you naturally have in terms of the gospel message. Nor is faith simply man's highest meritorious work or contribution to the gospel. Sometimes we think if I have more faith, God will like me more. But you don't really get more faith. It's not a thing in a container that you start filling it up more and more and more. Faith is more, it grows as you know the object in which you have faith. If I come to you and say, look, I can't pay my mortgage, can you loan me $300? You would do that if you trusted me. If you didn't, you think, well, I can't do it. I, I'm really down now. We haven't got paid yet. There'd be a lot of things you'd say. So you will give it in, in terms of how you trust that person in that point of view. Okay, having said that, I want to, oh, let's I forget. I've got it in front of me. In Romans chapter 5, when you come, take a look carefully at Romans 5, uh, 12. This is the great debate among Christians. Therefore, by one man, sin came into the world. Through sin came death, and therefore death passed upon all men. And the key phrase is because all have sin. So the question I'm going to ask you and we want to talk about next Sunday is, how can all persons be guilty of, of, due to the one act of Satan's, of Adam's one act of disobedience? How can we say we're all guilty because of the one man of Adam? He did it bad? He did. But somehow I'm guilty too because of that. Why? That debate comes in verse 12. Especially that last little phrase, because all have sinned. So, somehow we're guilty because of what he did. I want you to think about that a little bit. I raise it in questions, you know, is it biblically correct, I wrote, and logically plausible to claim that all persons are guilty sinners as a consequence of Adam's one act of disobedience? We're going to look at that next time. Okay, <laughs> that will be an interesting time. There is a lot of debate on that. All right, let's go back to faith. I want to look at the key in, in significance of Abraham and Paul's argument here from 1 to 3, the relationship between reason and faith. And then I added faith and obedience because of Romans 1, 4 that I, I didn't deal with. At the end of that, it says an obedience comes... That obedience that comes from faith, talking about the Gentiles mainly here, in uh, or one six, I keep thinking. No, it is one four. I'd have to look at my Bible a bit. My memory's not what it used to be. So let's begin in in chapter four of Romans. Just to read a few verses to get some context for us. Paul has stated in chapter 1 that even the, the unnatural man or the natural man cannot find God. Then he goes to the moral man in chapter 2 again when he says, why do you think you shall escape when you do the same things? Then in chapter 3, we looked at that again. No one is righteous before God. Why Abraham? Why do you think he now chooses Abraham as a defense that people are justified by faith? If you take a look in chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight through the works of the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. Now he turns to Abraham. And looking in chapter 4, 
verse 3, what the scriptures say. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God, who is justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And then he goes back, because it's an argument here. If Abraham is the man of promise, and that promises to all people, didn't Abraham get justified because he got circumcised? That work, didn't he do it? And Paul says in, in chapter 10, raises the question, under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Circumcision was a really important key for the Jewish believer. That's God's imprimatur on you saying, no, you're circumcised, you belong to the covenant and to the promise because you were circumcised. Paul's saying, no, that is not true. If I were a Jewish guy, I would say, Abraham is my father. I belong to him by the covenant. I was circumcised, so I received the blessing. Period. Paul says, no. That, that must have been very hard. <clears throat> I mean, maybe you could say, I guess in a contemporary way, well, I go to the Alliance Church. Everybody goes to the Alliance Church, uh, get baptized there, and join. Well, they'll make it to heaven. <laughs> And some preacher comes some Sunday, I'm sure. No, you're not by that. Even if you go to church here, not by your background, not by your religious tradition, are you redeemed? So Abraham is so important. In the Muslim community, they go back to Abraham too. And they look at Abraham. Because Ishmael was a son of Abraham, and they come out of that. So we have part of the blessing. And even in the blessings, God includes them as well as some blessings that will come to them. He didn't forget about Ishmael at this point. Now, let's get... Abraham, then, is, is the key here for Paul's argument that he was justified by faith before he was circumcised. So he got it. Now, let's go to a question... What's the relationship between reason and faith? Let me give you a little example. Let's say I know P. P will be a proposition of anything you like. I know that my Greek Bible is at Gateway Church sitting on the stand over here. When I say I know something, I am making at some level claim of certainty. Now, it may not be right, but that's the claim I'm making. If I say I believe that P, my Bible is on a chair in the classroom at Gateway Church. What's the difference between saying I know something and I believe something? Say one it has its basis in fact. <clears throat> the first one has its basis in fact, the second has its basis in faith. Okay. But wouldn't that imply that it's true? It may 
not actually be true? Yes. That's, see, this is, you're getting at the problem between faith and reason. Does faith, I suppose you could say, I believe, I mean, I have faith that it is there. What am I saying that's different from I know? I may believe that I may have a reason to know something, but maybe could that reason be false? Sure. Could there be existing information that would be the difference between the two? One is I saw the Bible there, and the other is I think that's where I left it, but I'm not 100% sure because I didn't actually see it there. Or someone told me. Or somebody sure, told me. now you're getting at, at what we were really. Or it's been there like um, 364 there. days out of the year, and so I'm trusting that it's going to be there. So what's the relationship between then knowledge and faith? You're raising an I know. Either I knew the first many years or many days it was there, or I had some. Pardon? Additional information? Okay. History, historical fact, yep, historical fact. Okay. Well, I'm just talking about, I want my proposition here not to be too complicated. <laughs> uh, so I chose this just offhand. Well, has something to do with certainty and uncertainty? Yeah, we're getting at it. We're not certain, but we believe. Does that, does that help us at all? We're trying to get at what does it mean by faith? It's central to our Christian lives. It's central to our relationship with God. So we have it. Forget the whole scripture, but Hebrews 11. And that's an interesting text. That's really not a definition as much as it tells us how, from my point of view, how faith functions. Faith is the evidence, or that word evidence there in the Greek is, is the hypostasis. Not used many times in the Bible, but it is the foundation of things we are hoping for. The evidence of things not seen is the next word. It's a good point. So you would want to argue that faith is very much connected with some knowledge of some kind, whether it's historical, personal in some way. What if I don't have knowledge? You invite people to church so that they get some knowledge. Usually, you know, whether it's clear or not depends upon us as a minister whether we made it clear or not. Uh, or can you want to make a difference between knowledge, I know, Pete, Can a child know about Christ? Is 
revelation comes into play there too. Yeah. Divine revelation from the spirit. I'm working with a young man now who just has real struggling with the Bible. He says it's just men who wrote it. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. People's men wrote it all down. Or did God just pounce it on them? I have real struggles. Well, obviously, I think we can say that I know there's a claim, whether it's right or wrong, is a claim to certainty. I know that all of you people in this class are very bright, good, handsome. Are you sure? <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure you are deep into nothingness. <laughs> well, I will have to come back to this. Dr. Allen, this is no different than news, is that you know you have to know you have to know perspective, you have to know who's speaking, and then you weigh out what what fact and what belief and what certainty and Oh, I think you're absolutely right. But once I know all this, doesn't mean that I will believe it. Right. So there's something about faith that is different than knowledge. It's not that knowledge is absent. I think you have to have knowledge. That's why I, I or you invite someone to a Bible study or to somewhere who may not know anything and they learn things. Now the question, and we'll do all kinds of things. That's why you have apologetics, which is not my favorite subject, but you have it, all this kind of stuff. What if we say that faith or believing is an act or a commitment, is an act of personal commitment? Faith is the one who looks out and grabs a hold. Faith performs a... The reason I raise this is because when I was in philosophy class at University of California, the teacher was always getting at He didn't like faith. Faith had no reason to base. He was a good old rationalist. But, uh, but the faith needs this, but it also needs what are you going to do about it? You're going to buy a new car. And you tell me, oh, you've got to buy a Chevy. Those new Chevys are just really good. Well, I don't know. I saw a guy who bought one that wasn't so good, so he got another piece of knife. So he's hesitant to act. But if you can convince him on the knowledge that it is really the best, then he may act or may not act. If he has to put down $30,000 on his new shipping, he may think, whoa, I don't know if it's worth it. Faith performs a mediating function, in my view. Faith acts upon the knowledge that it has. Is that truth? Good. Faith doesn't give you knowledge. It makes the knowledge personal for you. And, now, and therefore you think when you read your Bible, man, this, I never realized this. Because it is now yours. You're really committing into that knowledge. I want you to make it. So if Pastor Paul gives an invitation to be saved, the person, he will try to tell them and gave the sermon and said, look, this makes life new. And your life is not new, that you're struggling. I said, boy, maybe that works. And then he may give part of his own testimony in that case. Oh, it works for him. I'm, I'm amazed at the 
now the secular world of advertising has picked up the idea of testimonies. <laughs> my, oh my. Do you know, I just saw something like, if you'd buy this cream and put it on your face, you will never have any blemishes or anything. Let me bring my friend and he'll tell you, oh yes, I tried it. After four days, testimonies, confessions, that this thing is true. And so they'll do this, and the one word they use, it's been scientifically tried. Therefore, that sort of appeals to us. Well, we think if it's scientifically done, it must be true. But I still may not go out and buy it. So there will always be people who are struggling with their faith, both all of us in, in various ways, conflicts coming into our life, or saying, where is God? So faith is often challenged. Faith grows for me. I've said this probably to you before. Faith for me is not a container. It's not how much you got. You know, a qualitative thing. I've got this much faith. And I'm trying to get more. Well, I take faith in a, in a round way. I have faith. But it grows in relationship to the one in whom I have faith and to the object, namely God himself. So that people who have lived longer and gone through lots of trouble have a stronger faith often than, than everyone, some of us. Because I went through all of that. I went through this. And my son was killed in the war and I wondered where God was. All kinds of things will happen to us. And so you see older saints, this is a generalization obviously, but they may have a tendency to have greater faith. It's a quality, not how much, but how it affects. I think faith is a quality that grows and grows depending upon your relationship and interaction with that object. So I take faith in this way. Now, I, bring you, I brought up another one because also with Abraham. What's the relationship between faith and obedience? Now we're not getting faith between I believe and I know. But we're asking what is the relationship between obedience and faith? Is there any connection? Hmm? Okay. Take a look at Romans 1, 4, is it? Your English, is it 1, 4 or 6? I thought it was. the spirit of holiness was declared with power of the Son of God. And the obedience that comes from faith? Verse 5. Verse 5. The obedience that comes from faith. What in the world is Paul talking about? It's at the end of verse 5. The obedience that comes from faith. What's the relationship of faith to obedience? Action. Explain that a little bit more for us. I mean, if I, if I believe and, I, and then I have to do something with that, so I'm going to have faith that I move forward with that information. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay. I often think for many of us as Christians, the relationship faith and obedience, the obedience becomes the condition that my faith is active. Condition or the, ob or the, the object? Uh -huh. 
If you're not being obedient, do you not have faith? It's evidence. So it's supposed to be the result. Okay. It's the result. It looks like that better. Here's from James 2, 21 and 22. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, his faith was perfected. Okay. That's in the... James 2, James. 21 and 22. I guess what I'm asking is, and within the context of Abraham too, faith and obedience, is this a necessary condition for this to exist? Some people I know who just said, "Grow is fantastic," you know. but not all of us do that. Dear friend of mine, I just came to mind. I'm my closest friend growing up from grade school all the way through high school. Passed away recently, but he accepted Christ once, but he had no background at all. And he wrote to my twin sister, "When is God coming back home again? I want to talk to him." And I think he wanted to talk to me. But it was a very simple kind of thing after church in Little Baptist Church. The pastor took he, I probably said he and I into the room and told us how to become Christian. And he was very sincere. And me, I didn't know what was going on. He just wouldn't go unless I went. So I wasn't there to get saved. But he genuinely was. But he lived not as a Christian. I personally want to say, yeah, he's, he will be in heaven. Otherwise, getting to heaven depends solely on me, rather than the redemptive work of Christ. But, let's put it, I'm thinking of putting this in terms of the Christian life. You're living for Christ. 
What is the role of obedience? You've already said it, but it's an act of love. Huh? It's an act of love. I mean, if I believe what he did for me, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, otherwise I can still not move forward into obedience. I mean, I accept it as truth, but it's easier if I just keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, you said it before. You. I think faith here is a means. It's a function of expressing love, obedience. Obedience becomes an act of trust, or if you wish, love. Which is often challenged. I think obedience is the means not to ascend higher up the ladder to be with God. God really likes you good now. I think it's a means by which we can grow in faith. God works in my life and in your life through obedience. Now, it's not the obedience itself. It's what obedience achieves. And, and I, I've preached on this some here. And then I think through obedience, God creates in us those virtues which mark us as belonging to Christ. I think without obedience, <clears throat> we cut ourselves off from receiving God's blessings, yeah. what he has for us in our life. Yeah. Don't we only have those virtues because the Holy Spirit living in us? And yeah. that gives us the ability to be able to, to obey. So it's, yeah. so it's partly faith and God working through us. Yeah. But we're talking about, principally about faith. It all works together. Yeah, I'm sure it does. In choosing to walk in it. Yeah. You know, it's like God, well, he's not going to um, be near or like interact with us if we're choosing to stand over and over again and we're, that's what we prefer. He's not going to like say, okay, let's go and I want you to do this and this and this. It does diminish this relationship. Obedience is an expression, for me, it's an expression of my trust and faith in God. I trust God. Said so. You know, like you're, you're gonna get it. You don't do it. You know, but they they want to obey you because they love you. And I think here's where knowledge starts to come back. I define knowledge as justified faith. It'll work. I believe it. So knowledge, and of course that's a little bit simplistic because you have all kinds of elements here about knowledge. A fact is something that is proven by experience or by observation. I think Romans 12, 1 and 2 sums up that process beautifully. It's you know, Paul writes, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to him, 
as a spiritual service of worship. That's out of our faith. Right. And then he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's when the process begins, that we begin to gain the, the virtues and the knowledge and yeah. the revelation that comes with it. And it's not easy because we are, we'll get to this in Romans 6, you know. There's always a challenge to this. And traditionally we call it the flesh or the sinful nature in us striving against us. We've got to talk about that. I like the latter part of verse 2 there. And be renewed by the renewing of your mind. For me, the mind is a, is a critical feature in our growing in Christian faith. Is it, is it too late to add a song to the, the list today? Yeah. Press that and obey. <laughs> There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Because obedience ultimately for me is an act of trust. I believe God does it, so therefore I do it. He said it before, he'll do it again. Isn't what's important is not what the object of our faith is? If that, if that object sure. is trustworthy, Take a look at your sheets here. I put one, it says reflections on the nature of faith there. This is just some things I pulled out. They're not really, probably they're more from different people. You can look at them. Faith never means gullibility. I don't know about that, but Tozer said that. The man who believes everything as far from God as the man who refuses to anything, or Frank Clark, who was a theologian many years ago, faith is on a full stomach, maybe simply contentment, but if you have it when you're hungry, it's genuine. I, I, these aren't really definitions of faith, but I just thought they were interesting, so I sent them to you. Then there's another one I gave to you. It says types of faith responses. I don't know if you're familiar with this. We'll pick up the question of obedience again in chapter 6. Because Paul will liken obedience unto a slave. Now, that, that metaphor, for us in our world, having had a lot of slavery in our world, is not always a positive idea. So we'll have to look at that. But this one is faith. Fideism. Have you ever heard of fideism? Fideism is just, you just believe it. It's there. Somebody said it, it's there, it's true. And I put maybe not a blind faith. I took issue to a professor who wrote in the Alliance back and then I decided not to send it to him. But he was arguing there that faith requires leaping into kind of nothingness. And that's real Kierkegaardian too, so. No, it's not. So my definition of faith is on your sheet there. Let's take a look at this. We'll take about five minutes if you can. This little quiz. Please, you can do it with somebody with you. You can say, what do you have, what do I have? The purpose of this is just for you to think about faith. You can look at each one's faith. Faith is an aspect of knowledge. And then I add the little thing that may confuse you. 
By faith one gains knowledge which is not available by any other method of knowing. True or false? It's true. Revelation of the Holy Spirit comes into play. That's true. Which is any other means of Does faith create knowledge? Or is faith a response to a knowledge claim? Well, we're just asking here the question. The basic question is, faith is an aspect of knowledge. By faith, I know things. For me, it's false. I mean, I'm now a Christian. I go to school in there and I'm really good at math now before I was flunking. You don't necessarily get more. You may get more insight. It's personal for you. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now I can examine him and look at him and look at all of it as I can gain knowledge. But faith that, oh, no, it's not true unless I believe it. That's fideism. Number two. This one's important. Faith is the ground or basis upon which God grants forgiveness to sinners. True or false? I think it's true, but I'm going to say it's false. Because <laughs> I couldn't plan. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> the basis, the ground, the basis, the fact that Jesus died. It's got to be a true yes. basis. I would, personally, I would say false. The basis is See? what Christ See, has done. That's because in our churches, we all believe that. But it's not. What I stand on is not my faith. Maybe tomorrow I have something bad happen, and I'm not sure I want to trust God at all. But the basis is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's a solid thing. So I'm not doing too well, Lord. Forgive me, I'm trying. <laughs> but he stands there with us. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. If not, we're in bad shape. Because we'll fluctuate in our faith, given the circumstances of life. Yeah, but don't we have to, you have to have faith to, to uh, apply that. I mean, yeah, but that's yeah. not what it's asking. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, let's try number three. Faith excludes all rational or reasonable information. False. Well, you say that's false. It's false. Well, like you're in, <laughs> it has to be Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I get the gist now. <laughs> yes. My definition of faith, for whatever it is, Faith is a re rational or reasonable commitment to the God of Holy Scripture who offers salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we have in number six. Biblical faith is a reasonable commitment to the God of Holy Scripture who promises eternal life on the basis of the redemptive work of Christ. God accepts me because I trust in Christ. It's not the trust. Maybe my faith can be very minimal that God accepts me. That's what I said, the object of our faith. Yeah. Therefore, number four, the act of biblical faith is exclusively a human act. False. Yes, false. Five, biblical faith performs an instrumental function. That is, faith is simply the means by which a person places trust in or commits oneself to the object of belief, namely the redemptive work of Christ. True. True. I don't know where I got this sitting in my little study. 
Faith is not so much a mental ascent to something known to be rational by the mind, but is rather the result of an encounter with divine grace that alone brings a sinner into contact with God. Truth. They all should get seven Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised. True. True. Eight. Certainty of faith lies in the inward confirmation of the Spirit concerning the objective reality of the biblical revelation. We are given spiritual, not necessarily rational certainty. True. True. Number 10 is pretty much like the other one, but biblical faith performs an instrumental function. That is, faith is simply the means by which a person places trust in or commits oneself to the object of faith, namely God. True. Well, reason cannot number last one. Well, I don't know why I put it other way now. Too many of these. I should have added to this five or six. While reason cannot lead a sinner to full assurance of faith, it can help when harmonized with the spirit and grace inspired desire to know God. True. True. Nine. Oh. Apart from faith, reason would be antagonistic to the gospel. False. False. It could be, yeah, but it could be very helpful. I'm thinking about an article written by Pope John Paul called Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason. Two things came out of that article. It was written to all the bishops of the Roman Church. And he said, he said, first, faith allows reason to go into areas where it may otherwise not feel comfortable going. Faith enables I mean, faith enables reason to help us to justify our faith responses. Because you commit to it. It's personal to you. I surely don't know all the answers to biblical questions, but I do trust in them. We'll get to chapter... No, we won't. We'll get to chapter 8 and we'll be done. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Remember... Read Romans chapter 5. In the first 11 verses, he lists for you various benefits of justification. Now that we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. And we have uh, a number of benefits. List them for your devotions and see what you have there. The real question I want to lead as I address to you why are you and I, as we all well know, coming out of the Reformation, going back to Augustine, that we are all guilty sinners before God and we need to trust in God because of what Adam did? How can one man cause all people to be out of fellowship with God? It's a tough question. There's a lot of debate on it. We'll take a look at it. Okay, thanks, everyone. Oh, and there, you should have in the last kind of a proposal. These are kind of the things that I've said. You can read them.